0: We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 pm in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. here I want to welcome you all. We are looking at the book of Romans and we're coming to the end of the book of Romans this evening, and uh, it ends with unity, with, with a call to unity, uh, because Paul knows that uh, the biggest uh, pitfall of a church is division. The greatest threat to the church is division. And especially when you have people from a lot of different backgrounds, which they had in Rome, which we have here. Um, very cosmopolitan city, Rome. And uh, Paul knew that there were people there who got very offended by different things. Because they were coming from different places and in the case of romans uh, chapter 15 the context is there are people who are offended by others eating meat um, specifically uh, meat that has been sacrificed to idols and a lot of the gentiles were eating that and the jewish people were very offended by that and so they were vegetarians and it could be vegetarianism but it could also be uh, masks masks are generating a lot of Uh, Offense on both sides. Uh, So are politics. Uh, Issues of gender and sexuality. These things create a lot of strong feelings in people and it's easy to get offended. And Paul says um, in verse 2, build them up. Build up people who uh, differ from you. Who don't agree with you. Encourage them. Uh, He says, don't please yourself in verse 1. He says, be considerate of them. Think about them and where they're coming from. And so the first point I want to talk about is just that, that we need to build up and encourage people, each other, and especially those who don't agree with us. Uh, That's the first point. And the second point is, because that's so hard, we need hope. Uh, We need the God of all endurance and encouragement uh, to give us the ability to do that. So uh, encouragement and then hope. Uh, Build them up in the Lord, verse 2. The image of building up is coming from uh, architecture, carpentry. In, uh, in the Middle Ages, they would build these gorgeous cathedrals with you know, 75 foot tall stained glass windows on the sides. And so the, the sides were so thin and elegant and beautiful and fragile, because they had so much stained glass uh, that they had to have something that buttressed the sides so that those walls could stand up and support the load of the roof. And so what they come up with was something we think is very beautiful. You see this on all cathedrals. Uh, They're called flying buttresses. And they're those things that are like wings that stick out. And that builds up the cathedral to keep it beautiful, this otherwise very fragile and weak thing. And that's the metaphor Paul is using to build one another up, to strengthen us when we're weak, um, and to uh, gird up thin and, and fragile hearts, which as... Austin was just saying with Laura that uh, worship is, is a great place to do that, uh, a place to build one another up. I was actually talking to a policeman this week, um, and uh, he said to me, you know, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he got really serious. Um, he kind of paused a long time, and, um, and then he said, I just want you to know, and I got nervous because, you know, I told him we were worshiping outside. He said, I just want you to know, that it is absolutely critical that you be worshiping right now. He says like every other call we get is either someone harming, who has harmed themselves or who is attempting to harm themselves because people are so weak and fragile and need to be built up so much right now. And you can't do that unless you're with other people. So whether it's a small group or a prayer meeting or a Bible study or worship, we need to be together so we can build one another up, be like those flying buttresses, The word encouragement is from the word courage, and then the word in, like putting courage in someone. And then that little suffix, M-E-N-T, is something that is actually where you achieve the result. Like entertainment means you've actually entertained them. Advancement means you've actually advanced someone. Um, Enjoyment means you've actually made them enjoy something. And so encouragement is you've actually achieved the result of building them up. And encouraging them. And the person that I know best, who does that the best, is my wife. Um, she is amazing at encouragement, especially with mothers who are struggling. Um, they'll tell her how much uh, they're grieving, uh, just their parenting, and how difficult it is. And she will often say, You know, parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done by far. And she'll always say, I'm a complete failure. I have no advice for you except. And it, meanwhile, she's thrown in some curse words in there. Except, we talked about that last week. That's okay, occasionally. But um, she'll say, except that I, I implore you to trust in the Lord who, who creates beautiful things out of the dust. And that song, Beautiful Things, one of her favorite songs, um, that's, that's encouragement. And she gets that encouragement. And one of the reasons I became a Christian is because of the encouragement she offered to me. And I realized later, the reason that she is such a good encourager is because she was encouraged by the encourager, the God of all endurance and encouragement. That's what it literally says in the Greek. Uh, the God of all endurance and encouragement. And when this God came to earth, he came to earth to encourage us more than he could in heaven. So he comes to earth to encourage us. And when he's with Peter, you know, his um, kind of in a way his right-hand man, uh, Peter is full of doubts many, many times. He's doubting himself. And, and Jesus uh, tells Peter at one point, Peter, you're the rock. You're the rock, and I'm going to build my church on faith like yours. This is when Peter is doubting tremendously, and Jesus encourages him. Jesus met a young widow in the little village of Nain, and she was um, in this funeral procession for her teenage son, so she had no husband, she had no child. And Jesus walks over to her, and he says, Do not weep. I say to you, young man, rise. And her child, her son, rises. There was a woman in Samaria that he met who was drawing water from a well at noon by herself. And he could tell that she needed encouragement. So he asked her, you know, tell me about your marriage. Tell me about your husband. And it just opened her up to tell him all about her life. And he encouraged her. He strengthened her. There was a chief tax collector from the town of Jericho and when Jesus saw him sitting up in a sycamore tree because he was so desperate to get to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he said, come down immediately, Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house today. So this is the one, this is the God of all inter- endurance and encouragement. And he, he doesn't just reduce our individual guilt. He doesn't just minimize our guilt. He restores us to community as all those examples showed. In verse 7, Paul says, accept each other as christ has accepted you and a lot of paul's ministry was simply getting very different people into the same room together Um, people who did not necessarily even want to be in that room paul would gather them together Uh, in corinth the city of corinth the rich christians were trying to eat their potluck meals before the poor got there so they could just enjoy each other and and paul says no i want you to live in harmony with one another and in Antioch, the Jewish Christians were refusing to eat, to have table fellowship with the Gentiles. And Paul says, No, no, no. I want you to live in complete harmony with each other. That's verse five. Especially with those who offend your sensibilities. And that is something that our society needs right now so badly, especially after this election, it was brutal, is to hear from people with perspectives different from ourselves. One of the great British philosophers, John Stuart Mill said, uh, he who knows only his side of the case knows very little of that. He who knows only his side of the case knows very little of that. In in Paul's case, these are are women, slaves, Gentiles, people who he doesn't uh, quite understand their side, so he he listens to them. He says, uh, I want you to, to tell me to teach me. Verse 1, we must must not just please ourselves. A Christian can never say, um, you know, my opinion is right just because I say it, because we as Christians are some of the few people that actually say there's a truth out there that's bigger than me. In fact, there's not only a truth out there, but we adore that truth. We worship that truth. We praise the one who is the way and the truth and the life. In verse 6, he says, join together in one voice, giving praise and glory and that adoration is so important for unity imagine gathering people on election night who are on really opposite sides of the spectrum imagine you gather them in your in your living room to watch the election results come in and you start the conversation with you know let's go around and talk about what leads us into adoration where do you feel the power of transcendence in your life That's what uh, Daniel Paul, one of the elders did for us in our Westminster Confession of Faith class last Monday. He went around, he, he passed out these incredible pictures of Saturn, the moons that go around Saturn or these volcanoes on Mars. And Daniel said, I want you to all tell me where do you encounter glory? And people talked about sunsets, they talked about art that they love, they talked about the ocean. Someone mentioned how music always draws him into adoration. Somebody said, the the, the story of people's redemption draws me to adoration. And see, this is the goal of all of our encouragement. It's not just that I feel less guilty or even that I just be with you. It's that we all together with one voice pray, uh, praise and adore the God who is all glorious. Verse 7, so that God will be given glory. The goal is not just feeling good, but common praise. And when we give god that glory it creates that that stab of hope that longing for our our true home and that moves us into our second point uh hope because we cannot encourage without hope because we get so easily discouraged it's very hard to live in this world and we need uh, the god of all endurance and encouragement to give us hope our hope dries up quickly without his promises so look at verse four my favorite verse in this passage the, the Bible was given to us long ago, was written long ago. It was written between 2,000 and 4,000 years ago. The Bible was written long ago to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but I sadly often read the Bible as a source of um, theology, maybe apologetics to defend where I'm coming from, uh, a source of wisdom, you know, how to live a good life, principles for a good marriage, uh, insights into God's character, how to defend the faith. And those are all reasons to read the Bible. Um, but when you really need to be encouraged, like when you're really down and depressed and you feel hopeless, where do you go then? And for me, I, I sadly, I turn... To a friend first. Now, that's not a bad thing, um, but I often, instead of thinking of the Bible as as primarily a book of encouragement, I, I'll call a friend, and you know, my friend will say something like, um, "That's so awful. I'm so sorry. Uh, I can't imagine how hard that would be." Um, but you know, remember, this is not our true home. Um, this this world we live in is not. Ever the place that we're trying to find our true hope. There's a, there's a new world coming. Uh, and, and that's what we have to hope in. And see, I don't want to read the Bible just as a, a, as a dutiful servant, as somebody who's going to find out like, you know, what the law says, um, what is true about God. Again, those are fine, but I want to go to the Bible. I want you to go to the Bible when we desperately need encouragement. The same way you would pick up the phone and call a friend and hear that voice of, of encouragement on the other line or FaceTime. And see that person's face. When you read, when you open the Bible, that's what Paul is saying is there for you. Um, it, is, it is a source, it is full of promises. It is just chock full of beautiful promises that inject courage into us. Again, verse 4 says, we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. I think about waiting for something to be fulfilled. I think I think about break, uh, baking bread. I, I absolutely love bread. I have no idea how to bake bread, but when when Margie, will, my wife, will break, will bake bread, um, you can turn on the oven light, and you can, well, you can smell it first of all. Nothing like that smell of um, baking bread. But then you can also see in there when the crust begins to get that brown, and that you can just see the crisp appearing, and this and this the thing we're waiting for, this new world, is like this, the smell, the sight of the, the bread that is baking and, and coming to fruition. And it takes time and it cannot be rushed. But there's this new thing that is happening in the world that is like that. It's growing. It's coming together and the new world is taking shape and critical things are happening right now that that have to happen before the new world can be born. But I can tell you this that it will not go on and on forever and ever just like this so a lot of times we think that we're on a slightly downward trajectory and it's just going to go worse and worse and worse and the bible says no there's something that is new and redemptive that is coming and it's not just the vaccine you know it's not just 2021 i mean we'll all be glad to get rid of 2020 but it's not just 2021 or joe biden or the vaccine what the bible says is coming is resurrection and, and a, the judgment of evil, the elimination of all evil, and the new creation, the new Jerusalem come down, all evil annihilated, all relationships mended, all enemies reconciled. The Bible is a place of intense encouragement, and I want you to read it that way. Uh, one of my favorite artists is Peter Gabriel. One of my favorite songs by him is a song called Don't Give Up. It's about the Dust Bowl when uh, it's about a young farmer, um, a father who is terrified because he can't find work and he's afraid his family will starve. And this is a song that is written uh, to that young man who is uh, feeling so ashamed, such a failure. And the chorus, among other, says, uh, other things, says, don't give up, you're not the only one, there's no reason to be ashamed, you know it's never been easy, but there's a place where we belong. And the place that Peter Gabriel doesn't know we belong is, is in the arms of God, in the embrace of Christ, where Paul says in verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you into the glory of God, into the glory of God. And, and how did Christ welcome us? Imagine having your, your greatest enemy over for dinner. Think about the person right now that you consider to be opposed to you, And can you imagine inviting them over to dinner? Opening the door. So glad you're here. Come on in. Can I get you something to drink? Can I put your coat up? Right into your dining room. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to welcome someone in like that? Well, well, Christ doesn't just welcome us to his dinner table. He welcomes us into his family forever. Into the life of the Trinity. He left the Trinity to come and bring us back into it. And he welcomed... The people who were mocking him, right there in front of me, he was welcoming them. The the insults of the world fell on him, it says in verse 3. The insults of the world were heaped upon him. He was welcoming them in. The soldiers that were driving the nails into his hands, he was welcoming them with his arms outstretched. And the centurion who oversaw the whole crucifixion. There was always one centurion that would oversee the whole crucifixion. In the gospel of Mark... He is the first one to say, surely this is the Son of God. The first one to have faith is a centurion that is overseeing his crucifixion because that centurion saw Jesus with his arms outstretched saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He welcomes everyone in. Verse three says, Christ did not live to please himself. He didn't live live to please himself. He lived to please his enemies to bring them into everlasting joy in his father's house where even now he's preparing many rooms for us and this table is a table of that extreme welcome where Christ welcomes all of us into his family once again as we take this imagine the wedding feast of the lamb uh, where in the very end of time we know that Jesus the lamb will come and essentially there'll be a great wedding rehearsal it's a massive rehearsal They'll go on and on and on where the groom will be here and and serve his bride, the church. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to come up here and partake this supper.